after breakfast What's before lunch? It's Austin, Texas It's weird brunch I've been taking a lot of geography quizzes in my downtime to keep myself from falling asleep. Hmm. So if you have any questions about where cities are, I can try to answer them. Um, (laughs) Doesn't my life sound exciting? It does. I spent a good 30 minutes doing the New York Times fridge politics quiz. Mm. Did you all see that? Is that, I thought the Donald Trump fridge was, is that what that is? Can you tell the difference between a Trump fridge and a Biden fridge? Okay. It's weird. And then what's also kind of fucked up is like the, in my head, I was like, oh, this is this because of this. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them, I was like, oh, that looks like it's built in to some fucking nice ass wood. That's a Trump one. And it was right most of the time. And then there were some that I was like, this looks like a college dorm. Biden? Also right. Hmm. <laughs> well, I just guessed Trump on one that had bush light in the drawer that you're supposed to keep vegetables in. Mm. That was a good call. Now, this one has blue moon in it, so I'm going to say Biden. No. Oh, I see oat milk in one. Mm -hmm. There are some that are very, very confusing. Who, how, where, and when did they take these pictures? I don't know, but the other thing is the quiz keeps, I had to just stop doing it. Like, it just goes forever. It does. And then in their, tw- uh, they did a tweet for it today. And so they were also like, you know, what about this one? Doing like polls in their uh, replies. And everyone's shitting on it. <laughs> like everyone. Dan Rather was like, can y'all just get your shit together and do what you're supposed to do, New York Times? When did you become this? <laughs> um, and then there's some of them where they're like, there's something in each one that would give it away but some of them are hard and i'm like i don't so at first i thought takeout food was biden because that kept coming up and then i did a takeout food and i was wrong fuck i've been wrong on a bunch of these yeah yeah i'm mostly just upset that there's this many people with refrigerators voting for trump Uh, Should they not have refrigerators? No, they should not. They shouldn't have anything. Are like all these Biden fridges and I'm just... No. Terrible at this? God damn it. I just guessed Biden just because I had been guessing them wrong the whole time and it was a Trump fridge. Oh, twisted tea. (laughs) (laughs) Yup, it's a Trump fridge. Anyways, wow, I'm going to have to go back to that do that shit i don't want to know i want to pretend that trump voters are fictional for the next week okay but did you see that he left all those omaha old people out in the cold Mm -hmm. yes thus converting them all to biden voters yes (laughs) see now there's now they're all fictional there's no trump voters left yeah they definitely 
Noise. Could you I hear a haunted hear dog? Could you yeah. also hear him go, sorry? <laughs> <laughs> yes. um, the dogs have been fed. I have not. Dishes are done, man. Dishes are done. Edit that out. Man. No, um, that's our new theme song. <laughs> I the dogs have been fed. I have not. The dishes are done, man. Welcome to Weird Brunch. Uh, there you go. Yeah, if the, um, none of those Omaha people are gonna, they've already voted. <laughs> well, then why are they going to a rally? To pre-celebrate, they're pre-party, man. spread COVID. <laughs> they're fucking, they're having their three white claws before they go out. I think it's because they didn't have a college or professional football game to go get COVID at. Mm. So they just come up, came up with a reason to all get together and breathe each other's air. <laughs> you know, probably right. Mm-hmm. Sounds accurate. Well, we all, you voted, right, Whitney? Yeah, I voted a couple weeks ago. So we already all voted for Trump. So that's, that's <laughs> Oh, wouldn't that just be funny? That would be so funny. Well, like said, like said, like Lisa said, welcome to Weird Brunch. I'm Whitney Lamond. I'm like. <laughs> I'm um. There you go. Um, oh, we have a new listener, Whitney. <clears throat> you want to talk about our new listener? I what? do not. Okay, we'll just keep oh. going. I, I prefer to keep that listener anonymous, and we can tell Karina later, or she can bleep it out. Uh, oh, you probably you. It's it's not thing. No, no it's no. it's not a thing. Really, not a okay. A what? Uh, oh, what is that? I don't know. Oh, you're, I Santa thought you guys Claus? were doing. Yes. Oh, no, no, that is not it. No, it's my <laughs> silence. It is my. No. Oh. oh, okay. I thought you were. That would be such a weird thing. To do. It would be. It is the opposite <laughs> of that guess. The opposite. We yes. have a new listener. It's a tiny fetus. No, it is uh, not. No. Okay. Yeah. Uh, cool. Yeah. That would be a cute way to tell everyone that. Oh, my God. Oh, it would. be like a gender reveal party, except it's a listener increase count reveal mm-hmm. party. You got you to gotta lay that bait, baby. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't do that. I want to ask what that is. I'll just leave it ambiguous like meatloaf. <laughs> Perfect. You took the words right out of my mouth. Um, so thanks. God, I love Meatloaf, even though he's on the wrong side. What? Meatloaf has a Trump fridge? Oh, yeah. Isn't he Canadian, though? Like, does he count? He's Texan. He's Texan? I think he Man. played... He played football in Texas, I think. For some reason, I just thought having the name Meatloaf and having hair like that made him Canadian. Or from <laughs> Omaha. Same, Jeff. Yep, born in Fictional. Dallas. Oh, man. Mo- well, that explains everything. I love on Wikipedia next to movies, it says Rocky Horror Picture Show and Fight Club, which mm-hmm. there's a big That's jump between those two. 
Yeah, he grew tits. He did. For that role. <laughs> for that role. Itch. That's right. Yes. He he grew full on tits. It was a really rigorous uh, diet he was on. <laughs> Can I get that diet? Because I would love to grow some tits. Yeah. I think I'm on that diet. I think it's mostly Wendy's. Mm, I'm yeah. growing something. You know. just got to. <laughs> it's just, just a growth. <laughs> I mean, all of my tits are just working. stomach that I shoved up. God, if that <laughs> was possible. Oh man, that's a garment I would buy because I'd rather have him. I'd rather have that mass lifted up where it belongs, where eagles fly on a mountain high. There, there you go. Uh, well, who's going first? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I sure can since y'all made me go last last time for you went middle time. last time. You went middle. We I did. threatened. Yes, we threatened to make you go last. Oh well, I'll go whenever, man. <laughs> go first, then. Don't, you said yeah, it. Go whenever. All right. We're being such a little bitch about it. God, God. damn it! <laughs> we made it so long. <sighs> I'm telling Melania Trump. Ah. Uh, Princess Melania. Did you watch that yet? Oh my god. Yes, I watched it. And what Bo- what is that? Borat. Oh no. And cool. Uh, Back to your story. Sorry. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, I didn't even start it. I <laughs> also have questions that I need answers to around the Rudy Giuliani part. Let's talk about pop music. Um uh, sure, why music. not? That's not what we're talking about at all. Um, so I would like to the election. Oh, coming wait, up. before Have you, you heard start. Of it? Okay. Yep. <laughs> uh, I have an update on last week's story from Anchorage. Oh, I meant to ask you. I'm so glad you brought that up. So the Anchorage mayor, the the city council, which they call like the assembly, picked a stand in mayor for the rest of this term. Is it a moose? It better be a move. Kreiner's Diner, so happy. It's Anchorage's first female mayor, and she a lesbian. So they nice. They got rid of their uh, Jewish conspiracy only to get somebody from the LBGT community. Instead, take that. Cue it on Trumpers in Anchorage. Kreiner's Diners. <laughs> That's right. Anyway. It's going to suck when that woman turns out to be a QAnon person too. Just like yeah. deep-seated. Anyway, the election's coming up. <laughs> Have you heard about it? Uh, uh-huh. I don't know when we're going to figure out who wins. So probably by the end of January uh, we'll know who won. Um, we'll all be dead. I'd like to talk about an election, a few elections, a few campaigns um, that go over a um, hundred years ago. So we're going to talk about Eugene V. Debs. Uh, he ran for president one, two, three, four, five uh, 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 times. <laughs> Um, and the last time he ran from jail, or god damn it, <laughs> he was in jail, whatever. I ruined it. Last time he ran for president, he was in jail. So, 
uh, November 5th, 1855, in Karina, Car- I feel like you're going to be the one to help me with this. Mm-hmm. Terre Haute, Indiana. Yeah, Indiana. Terre Haute! You should ask CJ. That's where MS Communications is headquartered. Oh, you got way too excited about well, your previous employer. No, that's Terre Haute is how CJ always screams it. You've never heard him say that? No. Uh, but it is Terre Haute. Okay. It's Terre Haute. And that's why it's, it's the hi- joke. It's Highland. Oh. Yeah. He does love adding extra finesse to anything. Um, so, Terre Haute, Indiana, French immigrants, they give birth to Eugene V. Debs. Eugene Victor Debs. He's named after uh, French authors Eugene Sway and Victor Hugo. So let's see, this guy, Eugene, he drops out of school at 14 years old. He starts working on the railroad, as you did in the late 1860s. All the live long day. All the live long day and night. Um, So he did a lot of odd jobs. And then in December of 1871, Eugene fills in for some guy who got too drunk. He was a railroad fireman. So they've got different, you know, it's not just I went to work on the railroad and it's like paperwork or hitting buttons. There's also like fire, all kinds of shit. Um, So he does that for three and a half years. And that motherfucker is making one dollar a night hello wow talk about he could take a lady out yeah at least twice a year um so in 1875 he drops that gig and he starts working at a uh, grocery wholesaler and he starts going to uh night business school i didn't know if i should call that business night school or night business school but here we are at night they they both sound really sexy so (laughs) come to our business night school night business school school. nighttime is the right time for studying yep business yes (laughs) so he does that for four years um and then also oh also in uh, 1875 in february he joins the brotherhood of locomotive firemen fuck yeah i would like to see that calendar i would like i would like a day calendar Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah um, so he's, it's also called the BLF. So I may or may not be calling it the BLF depending on what I have typed. So he's pretty active in the organization. He becomes associate editor of their magazine, uh, the fireman's magazine by 1880. He's elected. Centerfold. Mm-hmm. Centerfold. Uh, yes. Uh, fireman in a centerfold. Um, by 1880, he's elected grand secretary. It was men's work and treasurer of BLF, uh, the editor of the magazine and the editor of the magazine. So associate editor to editor, he is active in the brotherhood of locomotive firemen up until 1893. And he was editor of the magazine until 1894. Mm. Um, 
So Eugene is, uh, you know, he's getting political outside of the, the train brothers. Um, he served two terms as Terre Haute, see now I'm going to, you got Terre it. Terre Haute city, uh, clerk. He was a city clerk from September, 1879 to September, 1883. And in the fall of 1884, he was elected to the Indiana general assembly as a Democrat serving for one term. By the way, he married Kate Metzel on June 9th, 1885. Poor Kate. We're not going to talk about Kate, really. Um, Railroad Brothers were conservative organizations. Uh, their motto was benevolence, sobriety, and industry. Hmm. Uh, in Debs's bigger roles in BLF, he initially concentrated on improving the uh, BLF death and disability insurance programs. So it's this weird mix in compared to like uh, nowadays, it's this weird mix of like Democrat, let's have some policies in place within these things to take care of people. Um, But also he's real, he's a real pull yourself up by your bootstraps kind of guy. Um, he was really like stressing the themes of temperance, hard work and honesty. Uh, Debs believed that labor and capital are friends. Um, he's real big into like, look, we're all going to lean on each other. This is how it's going to work. We're all buddies. And he was super opposed to strikes as a means of like talking shit out or settling differences. Uh, As a matter of fact, the BLF had never authorized a strike from its founding uh, in 1973 until 1887. Uh, And Eugene is like real proud of this. He's like, we're the good boys. (laughs) Look at. Sounds like Biden, basically. Yes. Yes. Where it's like, what? uh, what? Okay. Um, I can reach across the aisle and compromise all my positions and morals. 100%. 100%. 100%. He's about to start sounding like someone else. Uh, mm-hmm. Railroad companies just fucking love these dudes and gave them perks like, oh, do you need a ride to this other state? That's not easy unless you're on one of these. Hop on. Here's a free ride. Uh, historian David A. Shannon uh, wrote, like, you know, where he was at in this time period. Debs desideratum. Go for Desideratium. it. Yeah. God bless you. Um, Thank you. Was one of peace and cooperation between labor and capital, but he expected management to treat labor with respect, honor, and social equality. <laughs> um, yeah. Sorry. Mm-hmm. So this, um, you know, his, his little bootstraps and we're all buddies thing. That's that that changes. <laughs> that changes. So 1888, Eugene is involved in the Burlington Railroad strike, which uh, labor lost on that one. Mm-hmm. Um, but Deb starts seeing like, oh shit, oh shit, I 
I fucking get it. Organized labor. Like we're all on the same page and we're like all saying the same thing. Uh, And maybe we're a little bit stronger that way. So he's, Mm. mm -hmm. he becomes convinced of the need for a more unified and confrontational approach as, oh yeah, uh, railroads fucking were (laughs) the economy. We all know that from Monopoly, so. Yeah. Don't worry. There's a reference coming. Uh, So, uh, also in 1894, the Pullman... Wait, what? I missed Mm -hmm. a thing. Mm -hmm. Sorry. Mm -hmm. So, uh, railroads were the economy. He steps down from BLF in 1893 and starts one of the first unions in the U.S. American Railway Railway Union, ARU. He's the president. He gets nominated, but he's the president. Um, The union successfully struck the Great Northern Railway in April of 1894 and they won most of their demands. So, we're seeing we're seeing some good things come out of this pretty quickly. Uh, also in 1894, the Pullman Palace Car Company cut worker wages by 28% following the economic panic of 1893. Workers appealed for support and Eugene is like, y'all, I don't think it's a good idea. <laughs> Uh, we shouldn't do this strike. This one sounds like mm-mm. because the hostility of the railway companies and the federal government, uh, you know, the union is a little baby boy, a little baby union. And it's, he's also worried that other unions are going to break edge. You know, they're going to break away from the strike. They all ignored him. Uh, and they stopped working with Pullman cars and any cars attached to them, including the U.S. mail. Oh, no. I Who would know. fuck with the mail? It's only a true villain. Can you imagine? Uh, no. So Debs gets pulled in uh, as the strike expands to St. Louis and 80,000 workers are like all up in this shit. So Debs is like, fine, but let's fucking do this. Um, New York times at that point calls uh, Eugene Debs quote, a lawbreaker at large, an enemy of the human race. The strike became known as Debs rebellion. Again, this guy was like, y'all, I don't know. Um, okay, I'll join. And now they're like this motherfucker. Um, so now the federal government gets involved in this uh, in this strike um, because you know when you obstruct the U.S. mail, you should probably have federal intervention uh, and and criminal proceedings. Yeah, the FBI should come to mm-hmm. the aid of the people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mm-hmm. It's just weird uh, if mm-hmm. that doesn't happen, you know, if it were <laughs> to ever happen. Um, so now, you know, the fed- the feds are here uh, and-, and President Grover Cleveland sends the damn army. Um, the strike is like, army? No, uh, we're not 
doing this. So they break up immediately. <laughs> 30 workers were killed in the strike and thousands oh. were blacklisted. Wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an estimated $80 million in property damages. Uh, and Debs is sent to federal prison. Side note, he was represented by Charles Darrow. Oh. From, yeah. Scope's of- monkey trial. Mm-hmm. Um, Eugene is in jail for six months, and the dude does some light reading. Uh, he's wondering, like, he's like, how, how did the working man, like, we just keep getting the shit kicked out of us, not getting paid. And like, I don't know, man. Um, and so people are also sending him books around this time. And he gets some books uh, from some Marxist theorists. So 1895, Debs is released from jail and immediately convinces the ARU to join up with the Brotherhood of Cooperative Commonwealth from the, or to form the Social Democracy of America. Uh, Kate, his wife remember her Mm -hmm. uh not a fan of socialism just something to note that's i just wanted to mention kate twice we're done now um but uh the social democracy of america founded in 1897 by eugene v debs the group was deeply divided by those who thought it should be proven um, that socialism should be proven by launching colonies and communities and then just like having them be socialists. And then there's others who are like, no, no, let's be a political party and like bring everyone along. And so in 1898, the political party folks split off from uh, the other folks and Debs is elected one of the five governing heads but he he's a really he's so he's not the main guy making calling all the shots but he is he becomes the spokesman because he's very charismatic he's got a good personality they're like look they also know at you from the Pullman strike get on out there so in 1900 this is his first attempt at presidency he runs for uh, as the first candidate from the socialist party all the socialists um if you remember, uh, oh yeah, he loses. Um, so all of the socialists, they all come back together. Uh, the the you know experiment and the politics, they're all together, um, and they form the Socialist Party of America. Debs is the Socialist Party of America candidate for 1904, 1908, 1912, and 1920. Oh, I skipped one. Uh huh. He took a he took a nap, took a little break. Um, he received an increasing number of popular votes in each subsequent election, but he never won any votes in the electoral college. He came in third every single time, and there were more than three at times. Um, <clears throat> in Chicago on June twenty seventh, nineteen o five. Uh, Deb, Debs comes together with other union leaders and they start the industrial workers of the world. The, the wobbies, wobbles, wobbies, wobblies, 
wobbly. Oh, wa- all of them. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, the rift starts between a rift starts between the Socialist Party and the IWW as the leaders of industrial world. There's no way to say that Wobblies is coming off um, strong. So he's out making speeches and the socialist party is like, yo, y'all are just anarchists. Y'all don't even want government. Everything you're saying, like we're trying to be part of the government and you, so they're like, no, we're done here. Um, And let's see, it's just anarchy, right? And so the socialist party splits from the wobblies, but Debs is friends with both of them. How um, <laughs> my friends? Uh, we should call him Bernie. Mm-hmm. He's friends with all of them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you just sometimes you just gotta be friends with everybody. Uh, mm-hmm. But he ends up going with the socialists because the uh, wobblies leader was like. I'm not gonna vote unless y'all fix this thing. And everyone's like, well, that's, I can't believe you said that. <laughs> you horrible leader of a whatever. Um, so Eugene is a, uh, you know, like I said, he's an amazing speaker. He, he, it's like, it's like he's an evangelist. So, um, you know, just everyone is absolutely like this guy for president. Um, he does these speeches and and they're, they're fairly, I mean, they're public and they're against uh, president Wilson and the Wilson administration. And they're against world war one. Um, that got president Woodrow Wilson, like bitch. And later he calls Debs a traitor to his country. Mm-hmm. On June 16, 1918, Debs makes a speech in Canton, Ohio, urging resistance to the military draft of World War I, the original Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. He was arrested on June 30th and charged with 10 counts of sedition. And ladies, and one count of seduction. <laughs> Hello. So charismatic. Eugene um, W. Taunt. Oh, <laughs> uh, and yeah, so he is charged with 10 counts of sedition. And ladies and gentlemen, you bet your ass he represents himself. Hello. Uh, he speaks for two hours. Uh, he was found guilty on September 12th. And at his sentencing hearing on September 14th, he ad- again addresses the court and his speech has become a classic that I'm not going to read at this time. You can Google it. Sentenced uh, September 18th to 10 years in prison and disenfranchisement, which mm. means you can't vote mm-hmm. for anyone else who had to Google it. <laughs> uh, he appealed to the Supreme Court in Debs versus the United States. They looked over what he said in his speeches about World War One, about socialism. And Debs had worded his speeches very carefully to comply with the Espionage Act. Uh, but the court found he had the intention and effect of obstructing the draft and recruitment for the military. So that's his yeah. 
obstructions. I mean, that was the goal. Yeah. Yeah. You <laughs> achieved your goal. Go to jail. <laughs> Go to jail. Um, Eugene heads off to prison April 13th, 1919, and a protest uh, is organized uh, in regards to his jailing. And it's led by Charles Ruthenberg um, in Cleveland, Ohio. Unionists, socialists, anarchists, and communists march on May 1st, May Day. The event quickly breaks out into the violent May Day riots of 1919. I was really quick. When people say riots now, if, I guess in my knowledge that's not going back far enough, but like from the sixties to now, when people say riots, they think, Oh, cops have their riot gear on. They're going in to stop these, these riots. And like, it's the people who were um, upset and not the government rioting. That would be crazy. (sighs) So these folks are, uh, doing a peaceful march, peaceful protest. They do have their socialist flags and their American flags, and people are pissed about these socialist flags, y'all. And so the army, who was there, went just batshit on them. Uh, Horses are charging into crowds while soldiers are just going ham, just clubbing anyone that was next to this horse. Mm. I don't know if you guys have seen any horses run into any crowds in the recent months, but that's still a thing. Um, As long as those guys also weren't clubbing the horses themselves, that that would be even worse. No, they're, they're trained. The horses to avoid it. Dodge, dodge. Seems like it'd be an easy thing to train a horse to do. Like, hey, buddy, don't get hit. Yeah. By shit. You just got to play whack-a-mole with it. Uh, (laughs) No. I know. Um, So then... That was that was fairly early on, and then there's a, you know there's a platform where someone is is giving a, a speech, and the same thing happens where they're going straight through the crowd, but this time, not only horses. Let's get some tanks out here. Uh, <laughs> they weren't using enough, and never mind. Uh, the mm-hmm. war, are mm-hmm. those tanks busy? Okay. I mean, you would think, but mm-hmm. I mean, also, can you even imagine? A tank going into a crowd of peaceful protesters? I mean, this oh. is, the past was crazy. I know. And those tanks that back then, they were about the size of, say, uh, I don't know, like a Dodge Charger. Mm-hmm. So I know. Imagine something that big barreling mm-hmm. through a crowd. I, I mean, that alone, like, ugh. Mm-hmm. Can't even visualize it. Uh, so then the after that has happened, uh, it, the Socialist Party headquarters is ransacked by cops, soldiers, and armed civilians. You could call that looting, but, you know, I'm, I'm sure no one knows who really did it, but we're, yeah. it was the cops, 
soldiers and armed civilians. Um, oh, working together? That's kind of nice. Yeah, it's weird. It's almost like, you know, they're they're just... Hmm, uh, I can't... Uh, they're quoted as like the mob just completely demolished the building. Like there's everything is on the street or chopped up or burned. Um, I don't think they burned down the building though. Anyway, Debs is in the Atlanta federal penitentiary uh, while this is happening. Uh, And in 1920, he ran for president from prison. He came in third and okay. he got 919,000 votes. Wow. Which was 3.4% of the votes, which sounds wrong. Were that how many people? I didn't do the math. <clears throat> In 1920? Mhm. Keep in mind that women had just yes. the right to vote. Yes, this was the first one. That's mm-hmm. I forgot that I read that. But still, and yeah, most uh black people were what's the word strongly discouraged maybe from voting? Oh, almost like so like they were like it was su- suppressed? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, like they were just making it really hard, almost really impossible, hard. but mm-hmm. hmm. maybe even on purpose, I'm not sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Huh. Uh, anyway, I thought close to a million votes in 1920. Not bad for, for old Debs. Enough uh, to fuck up someone else's presidential run. Yeah, like if you don't drop out. Yeah. Then you. Yep. Uh, Enough of a close call that uh, several states changed their rules about who gets electors. <clears throat> Because they almost had to send one for him. Make it even harder for third-party candidates to get one. Sorry. Just so oh. I, I was mm-hmm. like, wait, would Deb? Am I? Um, so Deb's, you know, he's spending a lot of time in prison read, or, um, writing columns that were deeply critical of the prison system. I don't know if you guys can imagine a corrupt prison system that's like mistreating or, you know, not trained well enough to have convicts and criminals or children uh, in their facilities. But yeah, he was writing about that. Um, The is a foreign country, isn't it? The what? Past is a foreign country. I mean, truly. Yeah. Uh, all of these columns were published kind of as he was writing them in the Bell Syndicate, and they're also published in his only book, Walls and Bars. Uh, it was published posthumously, but I'm I'm sure it's a great audible. <laughs> the Attorney General at the time, uh, a A Mitchell Palmer, tried real hard to get him out. Of, of any of this. So like even like a month before he went into prison, he was like, look, you know, I really think that people who are convicted under wartime security acts, like I, f- I feel like they get a get out of jail free card. Right. Like 
that I I don't think I can say that confidently. But the war World War One was over. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, <laughs> so he's like, "Look, that was we're done with that. This guy is chill. He's kind of a nice dude." And Wilson's like, "No, I don't get no. I, I, no." Uh, and then first time he brought it up was that month before, and then again in January 1921. When he was like, look, Eugene Debs' health is going downhill. Like, he can't stay in this prison. And Wilson sends back paperwork with denied written all, like, across it. Uh, I like to imagine him just, like, angrily writing denied, like, over and over, like a serial killer. Isn't that cute? What a cranky pants. It's real cute. Um, so Warren Harding is sworn in March 1921, and uh, in on December 23rd, 1921, Harding lets Debs out for time served. Uh, it's effective Christmas Day, he's he's allowed out, uh, but he is not pardoned officially. Um, it was just one of those where it's like you know, decriminalize some things. Some people are in prison that really shouldn't be in prison. Um, I get it. Yeah. So, so like sometimes people get thrown in prison because of these laws that are in place. And then those laws are then like lifted. Um, They're still bad guys, right? Like uh, they can't stop being bad guys. You know, it really depends on, on, um, how how bad the weed was <laughs> if oh, okay. it was bad yes they're bad guys um that makes more sense thank yeah, you yeah yeah i'm here to reset all of our laws um <laughs> vote me into the supreme court <laughs> pack me in there so when he gets out, prisoners are like cheering for him when he leaves. When he arrives to Terre Haute, he get there's fifty thousand people gathered there to celebrate his arrival, uh, and he gets an invite to the White House the day after he's released. Uh, mm. and, and Harding's like, "I've heard a hell of a lot about you, man. Nice to meet you." So 1924, he is nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize by a Finnish socialist, Carl Wilk, saying Debs started to work actively from, for peace during World War I, mainly because he considered the war to be in the interest of capitalism. <laughs> That's fucking crazy. That would never happen. Um his time in prison had really fucked with his health. So he's spending years trying to like better his health. He's trying to reverse these things. And then um, unfortunately he dies of heart failure, October, 1926 at the age of 70, which you did pretty good for. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, His body is cremated and buried in Highland law cemetery in Terre Haute, Indiana. Um, So obviously Eugene Debs really laid the groundwork for the left to organize politically. 
and you will never guess who made a documentary about him in 1979. Oliver Stone. Ken Burns. Burn doggy. It was? Uh, yeah. Bernie Sanders. Oh. <laughs> oh. There you go. That burn. Mm-hmm. Um, Bernie Sanders, a uh, huge fan of this guy. <laughs> I don't know why. And uh, he had a, a portrait of Debs in the... <sighs> I think the Capitol. No, it was in the um, uh, clerk or the mayor's office when he was mayor in, uh, uh, I think, Burlington in 1980. So Mm. he was like also, you know, putting this dude's pictures in in government buildings, which I love. And then in the documentary he made, he describes Debs as, quote, probably the most effective and popular leader that the American working class has ever had. Uh, in May 22nd, 1962, Deb's home was purchased for $9,500 by the Eugene V. Debs Foundation, which worked to preserve it. Uh, it's, you know, a memorial to Debs. And then in 1965, it's designated as an official forest, uh, historic site of the state of Indiana, And in 1966, it was designated a National Historic Landmark of the United States. The preservation of the museum is monitored by the National Park Service. Uh, Debs also has just a ton of places named after him, like cities, housing blocks, uh, all kinds of, like, uh, he's got two beers named after him. Uh, he's also inspired books, movies, and been the focus of documentaries. Uh, he has also inspired putting a red rose after your name on Twitter. <laughs> Did I just bum everyone out? No, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. You're just, I don't know, you're, I'm holding back a rant on the Electoral College and how the 1920 election should have been the end of it. Actually, the... 1880 election. Never mind. I'm going to stop. Okay. <clears throat> Let's talk about crocodiles. Crocodiles nope. get real big and they're mean and they're scary. You know and that part. Let's talk about the famous never crocodiles. Never smile at them either. The Peter Pan crocodile. So, in the Adelaide River in Australia, the two two of the top 10 largest crocodiles known to man coexist not peacefully. So <laughs> the way crocodile the way crocodile society works is that you get you get older, you get bigger, and the bigger you get, the more territory you need. And so when you see another big crocodile, you gotta fight them. And they keep growing teeth until about like 60 or 70, and then their teeth start falling out, and then they live to about a hundred, and then they die without any teeth because it makes it harder to eat. So that's kind of their lifespan, right? So think like 60 for a crocodile is like your 20s and 30s. Like that's when you're in the prime of your life and you can really take God, over a, a river. Mm. Well, yeah, exactly. So there's two old timers battling it out in the Adelaide River, both of them at least 80 years old and both of them at least 18 feet long. Uh, one is named Dominator. He's the bigger guy. He's the younger guy. And he has a record for the highest jump. 
So like they go down and tour boats and dangle meat off and then the crocodiles jump up out of the water Ooh. and get the meat like like killer whales, like but they're Florida. crocodiles. Yeah. So he's 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 always following the tour boats around because he's only got like I don't know, seven teeth left, something like that. So he needs this free meat. But his uh, I, I would take it. His arch nemesis and more famous companion is Brutus. Brutus is slightly shorter and slightly older. He's got like four teeth left. He's only got three legs because uh, his right front leg got chomped off by a shark because these are saltwater crocodiles. And uh, in 2011, the 80-year-old crocodile became world famous when tourists captured footage of him eating a bull shark uh about a about a 10 foot long shark just dragged it out into the mud and started chomping on it so he he's a he's a bad guy he's really cool i love him and he jumps out of the water high so like these are fun crocodiles so in australia people are generally aware of crocodiles and also aware of the I don't know what you'd call it, the etiquette of just not swimming where crocodiles are. And these two are living out long and peaceful-ish lives, except uh, pretty sure one of them is going to kill the other at some point. Well, if they both are almost without any teeth, are they just going to kind of like gnaw on each other? Mm -hmm. And then theoretically, could they, if we like felt real nice, could we just give both of these crocodiles like ground beef and they live forever they can live to about 100 like um which is even pretty good without teeth even but then then you know they Mm. just get too old they get you know coronavirus or something so yeah but theoretically uh the way they eat as they start to lose their teeth is they get smarter and heavier and stronger so they need they rely less on their bite strength and more on sneaking up on prey, whacking it with their giant tail to knock it out and then dragging it under and drowning it and then just sort of gumming it to death <laughs> after it marinates in the water for a while. Oh god. So yeah, that's how they eat when they get old and it's a surprisingly effective method of eating as long as you are smart enough to catch your prey that way. So let's talk about the most notorious, smartest, killeriest crocodile in the world. His name is Gustav. <laughs> He's a Nile crocodile, and he lives in Burundi, which is in that like kind of central east part of Africa where Lake Victoria is, where the Nile River originates. It's near Rwanda in Uganda. It's uh, He's like the most famous thing in Burundi. Because he's estimated to have killed 300 people in his lifespan. (laughs) He's probably uh, 65, 66 years old. Damn. He's not the longest, but he's definitely an 18-footer and big guy. Weighs about 2,000 pounds. That's Uh, fun. (laughs) Yeah. Zing. He is real, and people have seen him. He has that so they can describe him. He's not real, and people haven't seen him. Well, here's the thing they they've got uh, 
descriptions of him, all the descriptions agree. He's got three bullet scars on his body, on his, uh, and he had a deep wound on his right shoulder blade, where apparently various victims have tried to, you know, stop him from eating them and failed. Uh, and he does not prey on the usual crocodile stuff of like fish and antelope and zebra because he's just too big. He's got to go after a wildebeest and hippopotamus and what? people. And so when you're that big, you only have to eat every few months as long as you catch something big enough. Humans but aren't as big as a hippo. It's I think like poundage wise, you, the, the kind of hippo a crocodile can tackle is like a baby hippo, like the smaller baby, baby teenage hippos. Oh, yeah. yeah. They're not going to go after a grown Humans a lot bigger than like a fish. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but this guy, Gustav, <laughs> even if he's not hungry, he'll still go after a human just because it's hard to do. And if he sees his time, he'll he'll grab it, he'll drown it, and then he'll just leave the person there uneaten. Uh, maybe storing him for later, maybe not. So in 2009 was the last known sighting of him, but nobody's gotten footage. So he's not internet famous the way Dominator and, and Brutus are. Uh, this is in the Rizizi River. Also Burundi, not a uh, first world country by any means. And also constantly in the middle of civil wars. Um, kind of a dangerous place in general. I, uh, did you say that sometimes that one will just kill people and leave them mm-hmm. yep calculated yep. drown them and leave them mm-hmm. so this is where they got kind of the estimate of 300 people killed by him do, 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 do. so gustav uh they used to think he was 100 years old but then this person the person who named him uh named patrice Fay became this French hunter, became obsessed with getting Gustav. And in 2010, he went out there uh, with a large crocodile trap. That didn't work. Um, And so he went back with PBS in uh, a special called Capturing the Killer Croc. He had two years um, before, or no, they had two months, excuse me, in order to try to capture them because that's the longest the government that happened to be in charge at the moment uh, could guarantee his safety before they were supposed to step down. And, and they pretty much knew a civil war was coming because that's how shit goes down in Burundi every time there's an election. Uh, oh, I thought people... it was like monsoon season or like <clears throat> no. hurricane season. No, no, it's just their version of the Proud Boys come out with the guns and shit. So Mm. first he put down a trap cage weighing a ton with like 30 meters or nine meters, 30 feet in length. Uh, So they baited it, put it in a camera and all sorts of stuff. All sorts of bait were used, goats and chickens and all sorts of stuff. No, Gustav never showed up, never showed up. Then they put up giant snares, like bigger than bear traps on different banks, trying to catch him. And they caught a lot of smaller crocodiles, but never caught Gustav. In the last week before they had to leave the country, they just said, fuck it. All we've got left is this cage and this one goat. And they threw the goat out there in a cage like Jurassic Park style. Mm. And nothing happened. Nothing happened until a storm blew in 
and the storm took out the camera that was attached to the cage. And the next morning, the cage was found partially submerged. Fuck no yeah. good. Damn. Yeah. So Gustav, super smart. Uh, he was last spotted um, in 2015. It is unknown whether he's still alive, although people continue to disappear when they go swimming in the lake. People Why do continue to go swimming swim? in the lake. If Why would nowhere you else swim? to go? I think it's less swimming and more bathing. I think this is just a watering yeah. hole that's necessary for survival in this part of Africa. But, you know. Uh, in 2019, uh, Travel Africa magazine stated that he'd been killed, but not how or by whom. And there's no proof of that. So he very well could still be alive. He's definitely within the age range to still be out there. And local residents state, uh, just assume he is. Assume, assume Gustav is still out there uh, snatching people up and gumming them to death. I hope so. How do you- yep. How do you tell the difference between him and another one? There's well, he I look not to be I looked up Gustav and there's a picture of him like an aerial picture of his head kind of submerged in the water next to like a bunch of other alligator heads and his is like three uh-huh. times the size of every single alligator around him. Yeah, he's a big guy. And like I said, uh, crocodiles tend to, as they get bigger, kill the biggest other crocodile they can find. Mm-hmm. So I think he's just kind of become the big guy in the lake. He's got to do that power move. Uh, but he does have those three bullet scars and uh, those three bullet holes in the scar on his shoulder. So if you really want to spot him and I'm make sure it's that close. I'm like. Well, if you just, if you want to know if he's eating you. (laughs) Wait, is it you? Ah, but also cool. (laughs) Thanks, Gustav. Um, Well, I like him. But I am going to take over. Can you all hear me? Sorry. I clicked Mm -hmm. out and then got confused. And then I was like, am I alone? Which is always my fear. Um, yeah, so let's talk about. Uh, I, I love a good cult, and I especially love it when it is led by a woman. What's up? Okay, yeah. Hello. So I found this in my research. I found a fucking great website that is only about cults and you it's called, well, there's a couple of them, but the one I was looking at is called culteducation.com. And you can look up literally like every single, there's like hundreds and hundreds of lists of cults and you can see all articles related to them. It's fucking nutty. It's, I think mainly there so that people who have family members in cults can educate themselves about it and possibly get help. But it is also a Mm -hmm. very interesting hole to go down if you are so intrigued by this type of thing. I I do love holes. I mean, we've talked, we talk about holes pretty frequently. So Mm -hmm. I'm in it. 
Mm-hmm. That was me crawling lightly out of a hole. Okay. So <laughs> it, sounds like it sounded ice. like ice, but it was more of me like kind of moving stuff around to get out of the big hole I'm in. So this cult is called the Kashi Ashram, which sounds like a cereal to me. It's very like granola. Um, but it was led by a woman who called herself Ma Jaya Sati Bhagavati, of course, because you got to have that Ma Jaya thing. So she was a self-styled spiritual teacher, an author, and obviously the leader of her own fringe religion known as Kashi. She was born in the 40s to uh, Jewish parents in Brooklyn, They were a pretty poor family. Uh, She, yeah, grew up real poor. At age 16, she meets this dude, and his name is, uh, why didn't it say his first name? Anyways, his last name is DeFiore, Jimmy DeFiore. And um, uh, DeFiore, they go off, get married. She's got a 10th grade education, which you know, I guess isn't bad for the, what, 50s by this point. Um, They have three kids, Jimmy, Denise, and the third one, who I believe is named Mary. Um, A few years into, well, more than a few years, enough to have three kids into their relationship. She's, She's always been kind of a little loopy, but very entertaining and very charismatic, but, uh, she's kind of, you know, she's had three kids. She's gaining a little weight. She starts to kind of get obsessed with losing weight. And what does she find? She's like, oh my God, Jack LaLanne, I'm going to enroll in your weight loss classes. And I don't know if y'all have heard of Jack LaLanne, but, um, He's kind of the exact thing in Arrested Development, their their fake uncle who's like the old paralyzed. It's Martin Short, but no, anybody. Cool. Whatever, man. So she starts working out a lot. She ends up getting, obviously, I feel like this is the same for all people in cults. She gets really into yoga. Uh, she's doing it constantly in their basement. She's losing a lot of weight. And she, in 1972, she's like, oh my God, I just had a spiritual awakening and I just spoke to Jesus Christ. Uh, that guy? Yeah, that guy. And she is Jewish or brought up Jewish. So she just encountered Jesus Christ. Yeah. Just, I don't, yoga isn't really a Jesus thing. It's not, but, you know, she's got, this is her own hybrid thing. Uh, So a few nights later, her husband, DeFiori, hears a loud crash in their house. He comes down and he finds Joyce and she's, wandering around the house, Joyce, a.k.a. Ma Jaya. She's wandering around the house, whispering about experiencing Christ, and there looks like it's like red, possibly blood, 
all over her pajamas. And Majaya is like, um, I fucking experienced stigmata. Can't you tell by all this blood and like all this blood on my outfit? And he's like, I don't know. Uh, supposedly, I read in another article that he did take it to like a dry cleaner and they were like, yeah, that's totally fake blood. Um, who really knows? <laughs> that's that ketchup, this sir. Ketchup. Go home. So she keeps kind of having these weird visions and she starts delivering sermons in Brooklyn basements to new people that, you know, she's convincing that she is this new spiritual leader because she experienced Christ. Uh, on mm. That sounds it does, sexual. Right? Mm-hmm. So on top of this, she's also very into Hindu philosophy. Uh, she teaches focusing on the ideas of attaining spiritual fulfillment through selfless service to humanity. Uh, The Kashi organization, which still exists, uh, states, Kashi's values exemplify the ideal that all paths followed with a sincere heart lead to one's own God within. With the philosophy exemplifying Um. values of kindness and service, envisioning a world where all are treated with kindness, dignity, respect, and people of all backgrounds are welcome. Blah, 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 blah. Majaya says her teachings are not a religion, but more like beliefs that can be used with everything. Uh, she, in fact, was actually a big supporter of the LGBTQ community and did do a lot oh, of thanks. work to help people with HIV and AIDS in the 90s. So, you know, that was oh. good. I feel like a lot of them start out pretty good sometime. But anyways... Her following is growing. Kashi Ashram, (laughs) let's do this. Majaya, 1976. We're moving to Indian River County, Florida to start our own nonprofit and be a charitable organization. They are Hmm. uh, just west of the city of Sebastian, which I don't know where. Do you know that city, Karina, in Florida? No. It's no, close to the no. St. Sebastian River, if that makes any difference. Probably not. Uh, she mm-hmm. teaches for 35 years and starts to get, obviously, she's growing this population of followers. The most notable followers being Arlo Guthrie, anyone, the folk Whoa. singer, and Julia Roberts, who. I looked it up and I was like, damn, this looks like some eat, pray, love shit because it is. Julia met her in 2010 (laughs) while researching her role for eat, pray, love. Majaya. So supposedly, as with all cults, usually uh, everything is great until some shit starts going down and people start talking. So one of the things that Majaya was supposedly doing was getting people in her community. She was like, you marry you. 
and they'd be like, we don't know each other, but okay, we follow you blindly, guru. She did this a lot. Um, and out of this random marrying of people, yeah, you two kids. y'all kiss right now. Um, she there's a big fucking divorce that ends up happening. And the fun thing about the <gasps> divorce is that they were so at odds with each other that they had to call a bunch of like character witnesses and people to testify about the cult itself to see where these people's kids were going and shit comes out. Um, the, so what was also happening in the cult and what comes to light in these divorce proceedings is that Ma Jaya was unable to have kids supposedly after her last one and her youngest mm. daughter. So she had three kids. How many? She did- had three kids. Okay. When her and her husband got divorced and Ma Jaya decided to move to Florida and start her own cult, she left her husband and her two oldest children and took her youngest with her. And so the whole family basically that she left was destroyed. Her oldest son ended up killing himself in his thirties. But her youngest daughter that she brought with her, people find out that, in fact, at age 14, Majaya is like, hey, um, actually, you know, that you and you kiss thing, you have to do that now. You're going to marry 25-year-old church member Kevin Brannon. And Molly, the daughter, is like, holy shit. And Majaya is like, I need you to get pregnant immediately to provide us with more church members. So this her own 14-year-old daughter, she forces her to marry this 25-year-old dude. Was Kevin hot? I don't know. His name is Kevin Brannon. You can, I don't know if he's out there to look up, but possibly. Uh On top of doing that, she was also dividing families like cults like to do. Uh, People Uh were, she had this thing about male children. Uh, They seemed to kind of get the brunt of her kind of gradual psychosis. People weren't allowed to, of course. have like un you know like blessed or whatever you want to call it sex with each other like you couldn't just hook up you had to be committed to someone that Majaya gave her blessing to and so whenever that happened Mm -hmm. she would violently react and there was a 14 year old boy who was like kidnapped by her church members or whatever you want to call them they took him They were all dressed in black and they beat the shit out of him with a bunch of like rocks in bags and like beat this poor kid real bad for having sex with another kid, which is another kind of problem. But, uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
And then another kid came forward and was like, I was molested by this older man. And they were like, all right, let's go beat the shit out of this older man. But guess what, kid who got molested? We're also going to beat the shit out of you. And then they fucking painted his dick black and made him walk around the compound in like shame style Cersei from Game of Thrones. Oh my God. Okay. Majaya is like obviously fucking bonkers. She thinks by this point that she's kind of become a deity and is on the same level as God. Uh, She has started to manipulate the couples that are having children or that have been sanctioned by her that want to have kids. She's convinced them that they, at the time of birth, need to sign the birth certificate at putting Ma Jaya or her new husband, whose name is Sue, S-O-O, where is he? He only in here once. Sue C. Cho. She convinces them that they either have to put her as the mom or Sue as the dad. And so supposedly she gets custody of four different children based on her deityness and them just basically signing their kids over to her. Um, Ma is doing all this stuff and her daughter finally is like, you know what? I'm old enough now in 2013 with Sal DiFiori, which is her brother, I'm pretty sure. Um, sue They sued the Kashi Church Foundation in Miami, claiming in 1981, at age 14, she was raped by a church member at her mother's orders. Her daughter, yeah. I mean, you know, even if it was her husband or whatever, it's still fucking statutory. Or if it was another person, who knows? Yeah. Uh her daughter, right. whose name had been changed to Molly to disguise her identity, which I did not know, said that she was squeezed into a white wedding dress, married to a 25-year-old church member, Kevin, so that she could be impregnated. Um, the Kashi Ashram uh, people deny the molestation ever happened. Ma Jaya also denied it. Um, A spokesperson for the Kashi Ashram denies that any marriages occurred. And um, in 2001, other court filings stated that Ma had manipulated them in many other ways, including like that, taking their kids. Uh, so Ma's not a great person, but people did not fucking believe it. And she was never actually charged with anything. She, the only time she ever got in trouble was in the eighties. She apparently assaulted a clerk at Albertson's, which sounds about right. Um, no, can't do that. No, 
they're gonna get don't you assault time. anybody especially at albertson's or yeah, any grocery I, store don't fucking do it um in april 2012 at her home in Kashi Ashram, she died of pancreatic cancer. She was surrounded by her family and several of her students who came to see her before she passed away. They held a memorial service on her birthday. And uh, when asked what she wanted to be remembered by before she died, she replied, quote, non-judgmental. So she was terrible. Um, Like I said, the Kashi Ashram still exists. You can even go look at their website right now. It is, well, there's one called Majaya, M-A-J-A-Y-A.com. And for all you fun people who want to hear what Julia Roberts said, about Majaya at her remembrance, her tribute goes like this. There are a few people in one's life that create only the warmest and most powerfully positive impact imaginable. Majaya Sati Bhagaviti was one of those people to me and my family. She was a beautiful person who shined with love and understanding in all ways. Kashi Ashram was created out of her devotion to all who sought her wisdom and ideas. Her transition was deeply sad, and yet, as with all she did, she has brought me even closer to her with her words and teachings. May we all look upon one another with loving kindness in her name, in the memory of all mothers that love and teach us all, Julia Roberts. So, my God, in 2012, which is basically after all the shit started coming out about Ma Jaya being definitely in the very least um, probably a sexual abuser. Like, a, I don't know, what would it be considered if you marry your 14-year-old daughter to a 25-year-old man? Is it, is it trafficking? Uh, trafficking. Just curious. Sure. <clears throat> I don't know. Uh, yeah. There's a lot there, going on there. There There's is. Yeah. Because like underage, also selling a child. You I mean, know she what didn't it, like, sell the child. Yeah. She was just like, you can't, oh. remember? And was like, your purpose now is to make more church members. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, I, I can understand why the law didn't get involved because it's not like she was trying to get people to vote mm-hmm, for socialism mm-hmm. or anything. Yep. This this orange color that they wear. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of videos about or of her out there, and she has, like, a pretty heavy Brooklyn Jewish accent. Uh So if you feel like looking that up, go for it. Um, But yeah, Ma Jaya, she wasn't great. And you can still be part of her following. I'm wondering if we're about to say the same thing. Um, 
I was going to say a lot of your story, Whitney, just reminded me that we have not celebrated. Keith Raniere getting Keith Raniere. fucking sentenced to 120 years oh, yeah. in prison for sex trafficking, cult leader, fuck you. Is that what yeah, you were going to say? Yeah, I was going to say, well, <laughs> a lot of people, I assume, have been watching The Vow on HBO, which is a do- the documentary about Nexium and Keith Raniere. And I just saw that. Uh, uh, yeah, because Stars is coming out with their own, which mm-hmm. kind of might be better. I don't know. Yes. So Trish and I are watching mm-hmm. it. We watched The Vow. And the vow is like slow and ponderous and very exculpatory for all of the higher up green sash leaders mm-hmm. who participated in its making. The one on stars, it's trashier, but man, does it go straight to the throat. Uh, they talk about stuff that doesn't get talked about in the vow, like the extent to which Ranieri was sex trafficking all along and uh, was planning this all along and how the weird gender politics were there all along. Wait, when um, he was like in the coupon company, what was it? No, no, not 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 in consumers byline. Okay, like, just when he started this. Yeah, like the whole reason he hooked up with Nancy was he was looking for a way to convince people to do whatever he wanted, and he found this hypnotist. Mm-hmm. So it's like it's way better. It doesn't have as good footage, but it's way better like storytelling. That said, so now India Oxenberg is the producer. So guess what? Yeah. So guess what? She doesn't look like anymore. The bad guy. And here's our theories. Number one. Number one. (gasps) Bonnie. The first person out who I love. She's my favorite. Mm -hmm. Fucking hates Allison Mack. If you watch the footage, Mm -hmm. those two were friends and now they are not. And I think Bonnie hating Allison Mack is the root of all the downfall of everything going on here. Two, India Oxenberg full on 100% blames Mark for her involvement, for getting sucked in deep, for convincing her to do this and Mm -hmm. says that that Mark recruited her all the way in. Uh, So you've got like a, a clash of the Titans there. Oh, but they, yeah. this one, the stars one's only four episodes and they've, they released two. The third one's dropping this Sunday. I really recommend it. Even if I you didn't have to pay for stars. It already dropped. See, I, I need to finish. Mm-hmm. I need it's to finish so the battle better. because we had been watching it. And then John was like, this is just half of this is just like, we were actually doing a bunch of really great stuff. And I was like, it, it, mm-hmm. well, I mean that, Kind of mm-hmm. how yeah. is it Sarah? Is that the main girl? That's the vocal fry yeah. one. Yeah, no, Sarah from Vancouver. It, my theory about our theory about her is that she is just a shark. She is just a really mm-hmm. high performing salesperson who asked for that final promotion and didn't get it and said, "Fuck you, I'm out of here. Right. I'm taking you down with me." But if she had been accepted into the inner circle. Uh, she'd probably still be in there to this day. I I, I don't buy her change of heart okay. at all. I was but about Nippy, to say, but her husband's Nippy's name is Nippy. <laughs> Everybody loves Nippy. I know, and Nippy seems like such a good dude, but then again, he was literally the leader of the Society of Protectors, which was like essentially a gaslighting organization. Yeah. That was meant to Stanford prison experiment all the women in Nixium. Yeah. Woo! Cult. Seduced is so much better, y'all. Well, <laughs> that's yeah. it. Oh, that's it. Karina, what are you going to be for I'm Halloween? Gonna, 
I don't know. Probably Bonnie? Mm. No. Sure. I can do a good Bonnie waiting. This is Bonnie waiting. Perfect. <laughs>